Welcome to the PA Books podcast. PA Books is a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. This program features interviews with authors of books on Pennsylvania people, history, sports, business, nature, and politics. While the focus is always on Pennsylvania, topics like the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Gettysburg, the Industrial Revolution, the coal and steel industries, and authors like John Updike, David McCullough, and John Grogan have a universal appeal. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, the editors of the Milliner Koken Collection of American Fiddle Tunes, Claire Milliner and Walt Koken. Claire Milliner, you are the milliner of the Milliner Koken Collection of American Fiddle Tunes. Just what is this book? This book is a collection of transcriptions of fiddle tunes. Uh, the transcriptions are taken note, note by note from the original source recording um, as far back as we could get it, or usually the seminal recording that introduced the tune into the old-time repertoire. And uh, uh, I started writing down these tunes as I was learning them, just so I could remember them. I find that I'm a more visual person, perhaps, than an oral person. And so uh, I found that when I learned a tune, I, I couldn't retain it uh, the next time I tried to play it. But if I wrote it down, there it was in front of me, so that I could learn it, and I could also learn the little terms of phrase, the little, the little special notes that made it, that gave it that extra sound. You, you use the phrase the old-time repertoire. For people who don't know, what is that? What is old-time music? It's traditional music that uh, uh, grew up mainly in the mountains of the South, but was brought over by Irish and Scottish and English and German and everyone else, and, uh, and grew up in America and was heavily influenced by African Americans that were that were living in the South at the time, and so it all became jumbled up and created this wonderful genre of distinctly American tunes. Uh, so old time music is the old time mountain music or the traditional music of America, as opposed to uh, bluegrass, which grew out of it, country music, which grew out of it. Um, and as opposed to Irish, which is his own genre. Well, Koken, you are the Koken part of this book. How did you get involved in old-time music? Oh, well, I can't remember. <laughs> it was a while ago when I, I, I was uh, back in about 1959. Um, my brother uh, came home with a guitar and showed me some, t some chords and said, why don't you get a banjo? We'll make some money. <laughs> so I started playing the banjo, and one thing led to another, and uh, the five-string, it really comes out of uh, the old-time uh, old music tradition, uh, which is a fiddle, really, predominantly fiddle. And a banjo is a kind of a backup instrument for the fiddle. So that's how I got into it. And then uh, I played in a band in which the fiddle player died back in the 60s and uh, so 
not being able to find a fiddle player who wanted to to play, I began playing the fiddle then too, so yeah. Well, this old time music, where, where do you find it now if you go around? I mean, what, where did it end up when it traveled over here from England and Ireland? Where did people play it? Well, it was passed down. Uh, it was passed down from person to person, of course, before recording came into existence. When recording began in the early 1900s, uh, there were companies that went out and sought old-time musicians and made recordings which were turned into 78s at that time. Um, then there were people that went out with recorders of their own, tape recorders and that sort of thing, and made field recordings. Um, the Library of Congress uh, sponsored certain people that went out and recorded tunes that were then preserved in the Library of Congress. So where do you find it now? Uh, a lot of these recordings were originally 78s and thank goodness they've been reissued. Um, some of the field recordings are re-recorded and passed around from person to person. A lot of them are really hard to find. And amazingly enough, it's very difficult to get copies of recordings from the Library of Congress. It's the library of the people, but it's very expensive and it's very hard. So there are bootleg copies that get passed around. Um, but I got a lot of the tunes from reissues and from field recordings that have been copied over and over and passed to me. So all the tunes in here are from things that were actually recorded and you took the notes from the recordings as opposed to hearing them and writing them down. Exactly. And, and that's uh, the main point, really, of these transcriptions. As close as we could get it, they are note for note what the original fiddler was playing. And the reason for that, why, why is that? When you hear an old-time tune, it, sounds to, it seems to me like it's... Um, it's a magic spell. It, it evokes a feeling and many times that feeling or that memory is tied specifically to the notes, the, the turn of phrase that is used by the fiddler. When people hear it and then they try to recreate it and play it again, many times they remember it differently or they play it differently or they don't and I'm I did this too. I didn't remember the uh, ending of certain phrases. So what I wanted to do was capture exactly the notes that these people were playing um, to recreate and preserve that version of the tune. It's fine to have new versions. That's great. That's how it evolves. But you don't want to lose the old version in the meantime. Well, when you have a, a transcript in here of somebody just picking one random, a, a Clyde Davenport, uh, Little Boy, Where'd You Get Your Britches, mm -hmm. would he have played it the same way every time? Some, some fiddlers do play it the same way every time through. And some fiddlers do, do uh, intentionally do variations every time through. And so you'll find that in, in our book that uh, uh, fiddlers that have variations, we put a little uh, letter above the, the notes or measure that they will vary and then 
put the variation down below the tune. So you can just substitute them in, just like the original fiddlers did. Now fiddlers, a lot of fiddlers don't play at the same time each time they play it. So you might have a recording one time, he plays it a certain way, another recording, he plays it a different way. So we've been careful to note exactly which recording we've used in the transcription because if you get a different recording made at a different time of the same fiddler, it may not be exactly the same. So in the index, we've been careful to note exactly which recording we used. And all the fiddlers are so different. If it, if it was passed down before there was recordings, then people would just remember it. Did, did you find where there was one county it played it a certain way and another county played it another way? Um. It's kind of hard to say. Many of the early recordings were commercial, so they didn't want to necessarily repeat the, the tunes. So you don't get a real good perspective on that. But as as the music recording industry evolved, you do get very very distinct regional styles. You know, like for instance, the Texas fiddle players play this way, and the and the western. Because Texas is kind of Western, but the real Western style and the and the style of not only of playing but the the fiddle the fiddle conventions what they do at the fiddle conventions in the the contests uh, it can be different. So, you know, like out west, if you want to enter a fiddle contest, you have to play a waltz, and the waltzes get real slow and flowery and kind of you know sweet. And then, and then you want to play a, what they call a hoedown or a reel, and then, and then a tune of of your choice. And they get very complex and kind of over overdone in a way. But that's a definite regional style. Now, it's a lot of the the old Appalachian tunes were just repeat, you know, and just dance music. And so. But it's really interesting that there are regional styles. Uh, for instance. West Virginia and Kentucky tunes seem to be especially crooked and uh, often modal. And whereas uh, Southwest Virginia and North Carolina tunes may not be as crooked and they have more short repeated phrases in them. Uh, you get down to Georgia, you get into the skillet liquors kind of style, it's kind of wild. And uh, Mississippi, there are a lot of sea tunes and they play a lot of rags. So there really is a distinction between the styles, not to mention the, the New England styles, which are rather four square. And it makes me wonder if the actual geography of the countryside has to do with how the music goes. I mean, you wander around those windy roads in West Virginia and those tunes rather are windy and uh, you're, you dance contra dances in New England and those dances are, those tunes are rather four square. That's kind of a fascinating, that would be a good study for somebody. Is there some of that music in Pennsylvania that goes back into the earlier, last century? You know, it's interesting, in Pennsylvania, um, what we've been able to find out about the old tunes is that a lot of them were um, the ones that have been preserved, a lot of them were preserved by, ha by being written down as opposed to uh, having recordings of them. But a lot of them were fife tunes, like Revolutionary War 
fife tunes um, and, and rather Irish sounding reels. And so it makes me think they came in fairly early, but as, you know, there was a lot of population in Pennsylvania. And it seems to me that as the population grew, they brought in newer styles of music and perhaps the old original style, the old fiddle tunes were pushed out toward the western part of the state. Now Samuel Bayard, back in the 40s, uh, did a study where he went around and recorded the old fiddlers that were still playing in southwest Pennsylvania and created two wonderful books, the little one called Hill Country Tunes and the second one called Dance to the Fiddle, March to the Fife. And he, he wrote down, he transcribed the tunes that he heard there. And so those Pennsylvania tunes are recorded in his books. And, and those tunes are a, are, a, are a style that is really Appalachian. That's the northern end of the Appalachian goes up into that part of the state. And, but the, the, for instance, uh, tunes, we have a tune in our book from a fellow named Peter Krauss, mm -hmm. who was from north of Philadelphia somewhere. Uh, I think Berks County. And, and it's a polka. Now the state music of Pennsylvania is a polka now. And of course you always think of, a, of, a, of an accordion. But I think the old, in the old days, in talking about the 1700s or 1800s, why the music you could carry around on a horse was a fiddle. Mm -hmm. It's light and small. Too. Well, it's interesting about polkas, too, because, of course, there was a heavy German influence in Pennsylvania, but also there are Irish polkas, and so there were a lot of Irish and German in Pennsylvania, so you do end up with a lot of polkas. Now, when we play in the band, we play lots of polkas. They're wonderful. <laughs> but there was Peter Krauss, uh, who, who uh, played a number of very obscure, I guess they were his versions of certain tunes, um, very obscure tunes uh, from Berks County, and he was uh, Amish, I believe. He was an Amish fiddler. Uh, he appeared at the Brandywine um, Fiddler's Convention one year, and, uh, but other than that, you know, th there weren't many Pennsylvania fiddlers that uh, that are that are well known from the old days. Well, I think uh, one of the one of the reasons for this big body of tunes that came out of uh, uh, Southern Appalachians was uh, was that uh, it was it remained fairly remote for quite a long time. Um, it, I remember back in the seventies going to fiddle conventions in Southwest Virginia and meeting people who hadn't, who didn't get electricity till 10 years prior to that. So, you know, um, it was, it, I think that was one of the reasons that that style of music persisted. And uh, so along around the 1940s, going with, with the development of radio and recordings and everything, all of a sudden bluegrass, it was sort of the rock and roll of old time music. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's, it, it's a more modern uh, version of it, you know. Well, before we get too far into this, talking about it, let's listen to a tune and let people hear what it actually sounds like. Okay. Here's a tune that uh, 
comes from a recording of a fellow named Marcus Martin from uh, Western North Carolina, and it's called Rocky Mountain. When it was being played, where would you have heard it? Who who played it, and how? What situations, settings did they play it in? Well, back in the '60s, they began reissuing 78s, and now the record companies had gone into the into the mountains in the in the '20s and put out advertisements for people. You know, they would pay twenty dollars to come to Atlanta or to come to New York or. New Jersey or somewhere and record. So there were all these old, I mean, it was a, a, a big and viable industry in, in, those, in those years. Were so, some of the people who were just ordinary mountain folk who recorded who became commercial successes? Some, I mean, there were some bands that were, that were profession, professional, like the Skillet Lickers there in, in Georgia. And um, uh, they, I think they made a living doing it. I think they sold over uh, well over a million uh, copies of of their of their records and were very popular. That's that's pretty big for the 1920s. Okay, so in the 1960s they began re reissuing them on LPs, oh, county label and some other other labels. And so, for people like me who were interested in in uh, in this kind of music, uh, it was a gold mine. We've been listening to recordings of the new Lost City Ramblers, 
well, they've been listening to these old 78s and, and, and more or less reproducing them in their own fashion, uh, these old time tunes. So, um, so it was really nice when the reissues came out and we, we could all, you know, hear the, hear the originals. And uh, so. Now, back in the 70s, um, the Highwoods started playing around the country. And uh, they played all over the place and inspired people to try to play the music too. Now you're talking about the Highwood String Band, and we should probably talk about that. Well, you, for people who don't know the Highwood String Band, who were they? Are they? Well, it was it was uh, Mac Benford, Doug Dorshug, Bob Potts, Jenny Cleland, and and I, and we 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 had a five-piece band, two fiddles, banjo, guitar, and bass. And we played old-time music, and we played colleges and folk festivals and, and uh, coffee houses and square dances. And we traveled around during the 70s and, uh, and uh, had some fun with it. Went broke. <laughs> How big did you get? I don't know. I mean, in, in a... In, in a certain sense, we got real big for old time music, but you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a very commercial uh, form of music. There there are no copyrights on it. It's traditional. It's public domain. So we couldn't really drum up any interest as far as the industry goes. Nobody wanted to be an agent for us, so we did it all ourselves, and uh, it it got to be a little bit too much for. For us, after you know, a few years on the road, but w w we would go play at a college, and then they come back, and instead of getting a bigger audience, we would get more people in the audience who who had started playing, and so they didn't want to pay to see you. Well, oh, they still wanted to see them, but I guess they figured, well, if they can do it, I can do it, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But really. People come up to Walt all the time and say, oh, yeah, I got into old-time music because of you, you know, because of your band and you. And that's what happened here in Chester County. Um, in the 70s, they played around this area, and the guys around here heard them. They were so inspired. I remember a friend of mine saying she was, uh, you know, lying there at a festival going to sleep, and all of a sudden she heard this music. It was the Highwoods, and she said, said to her, her boyfriend, what is that? And so they got up and, and, you know, it was just very exciting stuff. So everybody started trying to play this music. So in the 70s here, uh, they would all get together. It was usually a Thursday night. Now that's because they were out chasing girls on Friday and Saturday night. But they would get together on a Thursday night at somebody's house and play tunes. But then, you know, you'd get people coming over and listening and partying and dancing and talking and you know these guys were trying to play tunes so it got too big so then they would you know surreptitiously say hey let's let's meet over at you know Chris's house tonight you know and don't tell anybody but everybody would find out so that went on all through the 70s and finally you know I got into it in the in the late 80s and started having tunes every Friday night and then you know, uh, when Walt started 
living down here, everybody was really excited. Oh my God, it's Walt Kogan living here, you know? And so now we still have tunes every Saturday night, here, right here. How did you get interested in the music? Well, I, I played violin, you know, my, yeah, my mother loved music and she, she taught in the schools in Philadelphia in the 30s, taught music. And uh, she made sure that all of us, I have four older brothers, she made sure all of us played something. She'd make them get up before school and, you know, practice. So uh, I played violin and I heard this music, the, uh, the uh, uh, Chester County Old Time Fiddlers uh, picnic uh, was at Lenape Park. Um, in Chester County in the, from the 30s on until about I guess the 70s and that was right downstream from where I live where my where my parents place is and I went down there and I heard it and uh, it it was intoxicating and a lot of old guys sitting around and playing these tunes so I had heard it and some friends of my brother were playing it and I tried to play the tunes and it captured me because the tunes are simple in form, uh, but they're subtle. Uh, they're, they're very subtle and, and they're haunting. And to me, as I said, they, they seem like magic spells to me. They evoke, each one is different and evokes a certain feeling or a certain memory. Um, so I started trying to play it and I hooked up with some with a f good friend who was playing it and he taught me a bunch of tunes and one thing led to another and you know just kept on playing. It's a way of life. And the question people always ask is what's the difference between a fiddle and a violin? Oh well yeah the fiddle you know the violin uses catgut strings you know but with a fiddle you use the whole cat. <laughs> it's the same instrument it's just how you play it. Walt, do you have a, a difference between fiddle and violin? No, no. I guess if, if you, it, there may be a bit different setup. A real pure violinist would use a, a gut strings or a, or a synthetic gut, and um, probably a fiddle player would tend to use more <coughs> steel. And the bridge, the bridge on a fiddle would be a little bit flatter, so you, so you're easier to play two strings than than one. When you were with the Highwoods and you would learn a new tune, would you try to replicate what you heard the old timers do or were there ways you adapted it figuring you'd be in front of an audience on a stage as opposed to say playing for a dance? Well we, it, there, we there were many different approaches like uh, each of us would bring something into the band at various times and a lot of the fiddle tunes would get played over and over until we felt like they were ours one way or another and if we if we whether that was being as much as possible like the original recording or or not that, that would work itself out in time so uh, you know we uh, Doug and Jenny would uh, would 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 learn some Carter family tunes and bring them to the table and uh, Mac would learn some Charlie Poole tunes and bring them. A lot of them, a lot of a lot of this music, we each knew before we were in the band. So it was it it was ours, you know. We made it and it was up to date. And you 
made records? Yeah, we made three albums for Rounder, three LPs. Are they available now? People want to. Uh, there's a there's there's one CD that Rounder put out that's a compilation of some of those three albums, and then I put out a a, a CD of um, of live of live performances from back in the '70s too, but that sold out. And of course, small budget. I'm not sure if we want to uh, reopen that issue financially. <laughs> well, before we get run out of time, I want to listen to a couple more tunes. So why don't you play another another tune for us? Let's give them leather britches. All right. What can you tell us about that tune? Well, I was, I was busy writing down tunes, you know, that I had heard. Uh, but I heard a couple guys play this tune, Leather Bridges. I thought that was the best thing I'd ever heard in my life. It was really exciting. And uh, so I got myself a nice, thick book of blank manuscript paper. And that was the first tune that I wrote down, you know, for posterity, kind of. Um, and I ended up filling up 10 books of, you know, 90 pages, both sides of manuscript paper. But this, that was the first one. And just uh, about this book, uh, there's how many tunes in here? 1,404. Why 1,404? Hmm. Well, I just kept writing down tunes, transcribing them, and uh, Walt kept, you know, painstakingly uh, taking them from my handwritten manuscript and putting them into the uh, printed version through the finale program. And I just kept writing them and he kept putting them in and finally he caught up to where I was and that's when we stopped. 
it was on pumpkin vine from Buddy Thomas, and he wrote on the manuscript, Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, tell me about your instruments. First of all, what, what does it take to make a good fiddle? Well, it depends on how it sounds to you, I think. I mean, I don't know that much about instruments, to be honest with you, but it, it, this instrument, I have two fiddles. This one seems to project out. Um, my other one seems to uh, project toward me, and so it sounds real loud to me, but it doesn't sound very loud in the rest of the room. This is an American fiddle. It's a Roy from, where is it, Seattle? and uh, I'm very happy with it. What about your fiddle? Well, it's a, uh, a, a German, it's kind of, a, I think, a factory fiddle. It has a name in it. Uh, it's, it's a Gennaro or something like that, but somebody, a friend of mine, told me that that was a made-up name, that it's just a, a, a fa what they call factory fiddle. In Germany, the, they'd pass it from house to house, and each, each person would make a certain part of it. And it's just so it was made in the in, in the t probably the twenties or so, and so it's but it's a nice sounding fiddle, and that's why I like it. I want to ask you, uh, getting back to the book here, about some of the tunes in here, and uh, first of all, do any of these have words? Some do, yeah. Some do. Uh, th those are mainly fiddle tunes and not songs. So if the fiddle tunes have words, it's words that maybe the fiddler uh, sang spontaneously while, while they were playing it, or yeah, there are some words that, that go along with it. A lot of them are floater verses that are the same from tune to tune. We've tried to write down some of them, but we, that wasn't uh, part of the comprehensive work that we did. I notice in here that there's, uh, now just, they're in alphabetical order, so you, you have possum on the rail, then possum trot, then possum up a gum stump, then possum up a simmon tree. There are a lot of rabbit tunes, too, and a lot of chicken tunes. And pretty little, pretty little cat, pretty little girl, pretty little Indian, pretty little miss, pretty little shoes, pretty little widow. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, pretty little, I think, is... is uh, yeah, well, it's, it, it's a mixture of... Uh, of of a rural lifestyle, and 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 perhaps a, a nursery rhyme type couplets, you know, and also I think a lot of uh, our old time music now is based on the minstrel tradition, which was of you know uh, pretty much a parody of plantation life, and uh, and the African Americans, but it was big time entertainment from about 1830s on almost till the turn of the century there and uh, so it was really popular and I think a lot of the tune names came from the minstrel tradition now maybe they weren't maybe some of these uh, tunes and songs weren't written down so the names stuck like there's about uh, 20 Liza Janes you know, and there are, there are a lot of sugar in the gourds. There are a lot of cluck old hens. Are there tunes that are the same tune with multiple names? Yes. Oh yeah. And no, no. Well, yes, yeah. Yes, some tunes. There's the tune of a thousand names. Uh, Too young to marry. That has a million names. But then there are names that are the same name for a whole lot of different tunes. 
but there are a lot of place names in the names of the tunes, like rivers or mountains or or play or towns, or counties like that. And there are also uh, the names are fascinating. Some of them I think have to do with uh, a conception of having a really good time or being in heaven or you know like sugar in the gourd, you know, having a really good time or. Patty, won't you drink some? Or, you know, a lot of drinking tunes, too. They are, yeah, and they're, uh, uh, John Cohen once said that they're, they're young people's tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, if someone wants to find a recording of, uh, if they're not familiar with this, and want to find a recording that's the, the, stereotypical old-time fiddler I mean, to, to get exposure to it. Who would you recommend a, an old-time fiddler whose recordings they look up? Hmm. Well, there's, you know, of course there's Arthur Smith and of course there's Tommy Jarrell. My personal favorite is Eden Hammonds, who really was an archaic sounding fiddler from West Virginia. And uh, he was recorded in the 40s uh, by Louis Chappelle and those recordings are preserved at the universe uh, at West Virginia University, and you can now you can get CDs of that have transferred those old recordings onto CDs. Um, Was he a, a professional? I mean, did he oh get paid? For <laughs> he uh, he got married once, and uh, his wife complained that uh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't stop playing the fiddle, wouldn't get out and work. And he said, I'll, upon my word, I'll put down my fiddle for no woman. And that marriage didn't last very long. And, uh, no, he wasn't professional. He was, he was more like a uh, uh, backwoodsman and lived by hunting and uh, maybe. Hunting, fishing, and, yeah. and singing, gin singing, you know, hunting, yeah. gin singing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite fiddler, Walt? I have a lot of favorite fiddlers. I, I like I like a lot of fiddlers, and uh, so it's real hard for me. I mean, there's a lot of them in the book that that I like. Um, Was know. there one early on who who inspired you? Um. Well, maybe like in the '60s when the Tommy Gerald recordings came out, I liked them. It was kind of a, it was kind of funny because. Uh, those early recordings were with a, a banjo player named uh, Oscar Jenkins, and Tommy Gerald's father, Ben Gerald, and Oscar Jenkins' father, Frank Jenkins, played together in the DeCosta Waltz's Southern Broadcasters. Back in, they recorded back in the 20s, and uh, so they got paired up for this recording, and they'd never really played together, I guess, and it was just delightful, I thought. And, uh, uh, but uh, Tommy went on to do several other CDs with, with other people, with Fred Cockerham and, uh, and some other people. And uh, I always thought the, the early ones were the, were the best. Did Tommy Gerald make a living with music? No, no, he, he, uh, he, in fact, he quit playing for a long time. And when his, he retired and his wife had died, then he started playing again. So he was in his, 60s. Wasn't he a road grader? Yeah, he worked for the highway. 
Yeah. We have, uh, there's an index in the book that tells, it's an artist profile index, and it tells a little bit about each fiddler. It gives birth dates and death dates so far as we could determine, and where they lived, and you know, just a few little snippets of information about them, and then where we found that information. Well, while we're on the subject, I did find in here someone we talked about before we started. This is Jahil Kirkhoff. Jahail, Jahail Kirkhoff. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting character. He, he lived in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, and uh, I believe he was originally f of Ukrainian descent, um, and so he spoke in a very deliberate way, and uh, there are a number of recordings of him, and he played just uh, uh, wild tunes like clarinet polka, and um, uh, what's that one that Pete plays? Chicken, chicken polka. Chicken polka. Uh, uh, interesting. He played a, a gold mine of, of uh, uh, tunes from all over, all, not very regional at all. And, but he did travel quite a bit and apparently won lots and lots of fiddle contests. And he had gone blind later in life, and and so the recordings that we have were made by, by, young people who visited him, and uh, just sort of field recordings. So Are they available, or did you just sort of hand them off from person to person? The, we the ones we have are have been given to us by some of the people who made them, but I noticed on the web you can go to Jihail Kirkhoff at K I R K H U F F. And there's still a CD that you can buy of, of his playing. So, and before we run out of time, I want you to play a couple more tunes. And you, you recorded Walt with the, the Highwoods, but you two have made a CD together, and you're also in a band. Do you want to tell us about the band? Yeah, we play with Pete Peterson and Kelly Allen. Pete plays banjo, and, and Kelly plays guitar. And we have the Orpheus Supertones, that's our name, because my banjo is an Orpheum and Pete's is a supertone. And it was the best we could come up with. We thought it would confound everybody. We have a good time with those guys. We're collectively called the pig family because when we travel, we really pig up the van. How often do you perform in public if people wanted to see you play? Oh, when, when, it's, when it's tantalizing enough, when the offer gets good, we'll go there. And we've, we've, we've gone, we've done a a California tour and a Southwest tour, and we've uh, gone to Minnesota and we've played in England, and so we'll we'll go we'll go around and play if it's if it's interesting. It's just kind of, you know, none of us are, are ready to go on the road like Highwoods did and barnstorm for <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> well, let's take a listen to another tune. Here's a tune from. Uh, French carpenter called Elzik's Farewell. Thank you. 
it's a tune from French Carpenter, who was a, a, a fiddler from Clay County, West Virginia, and uh, back in the 60s and 70s, I think he recorded. And it's called what? Elzig's Farewell. And I think that's really E-L-Z-W-I-G. And apparently it was, Elzig was a, a fellow who uh, made this tune-up for his mother who, who was dying. So it's not the usual farewell where you're saying bye. It's to everybody else. He's just saying goodbye to his mother. So it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a minor, minor tune. So. There's also tunes called modal tunes and crooked tunes. Can you talk about those? Uh, a crooked tune has either extra beats or it's miss, missing beats or it has a, a tag, a phrase at the end. Uh, the, the absolutely square tune has um, eight beats that are repeated in the first part and eight beats that are repeated in the second part. Is that right? or 16 in the first part and 16 in the second part, which makes 64 beats in the whole thing. That's a square tune. But uh, a lot of these tunes have an extra beat at the end, for instance, where you kind of catch a breath before you play the phrase again. Or, so that, that's a crooked tune. Um, some of them are very, very crooked, you know, with three beats in a phrase and then five beats in a phrase. And so there's all kinds of variations on that. Um, modal tunes are a little more complicated. You know, each, each key has its own scale. And um, the, major, the major scale is a certain pattern of notes, certain pattern of half steps and whole steps. Uh, a modal tune has a different pattern of whole steps and half steps. So you might have a minor third, a minor sounding thing, or you might have a, a minor seventh a lot of Irish music has a flat seven, uh, where it goes from, for instance, A to G and back again. And we call those modal, but in fact, there are a number of different modes. And uh, American fiddle tunes mix up the modes within the tunes quite a lot. You might have uh, Dorian mode in one part and Mixolydian mode in another part. Uh, or, or some strange combination that isn't any given mode at all. So we called all of those modal. If it's not a straight major or minor scale, we called them modal in the book. Well, I, just a, I guess I should have asked this in the beginning. Who wrote these tunes? <laughs> folk. They're the folk music of, of, the, of this country. And a lot of it comes from the old country. Uh, I think the, the, the beauty of it is that it, uh, it was uh, added to by the African Americans on the, you know, in the early days of, of this country. And, and that, that makes it really distinctly American. Going back to early man and through the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, there's always been a body of the people's music, just music that they play. You know, it's, uh, some, was, some music was actually written down in the medieval times, but I have the feeling most of it was just the people's music. And I think that's what this is. It's 
uh, it's evolved and it's it's passed down from person to person. Yeah, there are some tunes in here that certain people have written, um, but most of it is there. There isn't any specific author. It's traditional. And you refer in here to a festival type of fiddling. What is festival fiddling? Well, I think that what we were trying to describe by saying that was that uh, uh, some of these old tunes don't resemble the original recordings anymore because you get to a festival and there you have a jam with you know three or four or five fiddlers and a couple guitars and a, and a couple banjos and and uh, people learn these tunes by actually jamming together like that and it's very hard to really pick out the notes and so they do get morphed and they do get changed and they become uh, in general they become often a lot simpler or not as pretty or sometimes they improve yeah sometimes they, they definitely improve but uh, uh, so that's what we meant by uh, Festival. Well, is that a problem or is that part of the tradition where you just hear it and you play it as best as you can remember? Well, it, it's, it's both. I mean, I think we say that in the book is that it, there's nothing wrong with, with people playing and expressing themselves however they want. That's what music, that's what this music is all about. But, um, but it, I think it's important, as Claire said earlier, to remember the original versions because they they are our earliest link to what may go back centuries yeah the, the it might be a rather recent phenomenon too for a lot of people a lot of instruments to all be sitting down and jamming together i just have the feeling that in the old days you learned a tune from another fiddler you sat down with him or her and you learned the tune and you could hear exactly what they were doing. But did were there a whole, you know, 20 people playing together at any given time? I, I doubt there was very much of that. So it might be a, a recent phenomenon to not really be able to hear the tune, the notes very clearly. Well, how was the music played when it was originally played? If you would go up into the hills of West Virginia or, or Kentucky and hear it played in its original setting, would it be one person playing or would it Often the old stuff is a solo fiddle, you know, and, uh, and sometimes the solo fiddle with the vocal, with the fiddler singing. And then uh, 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 sometimes it was just a fiddle and the banjo because the guitar didn't come into uh, to this country into the folk music of this country until after the Spanish-American War. Apparently it didn't, didn't get picked up until, and so that was around 1900. So, you know, the old minstrel bands were usually a fiddle, a banjo, a, a tambourine, and maybe a jawbone. And there were, weren't very many with guitars. What's a jawbone? It's just a jawbone of a, of a course or a, a cow, and they would run a stick along the teeth to make a, a little uh, rattle, a, a little uh, a percussion, percussion thing. Kind of like what they have in, in Brazil with the gourd that's all scored, and they run a s stick along that, same kind of sound. So the banjo was part of this music fairly early on? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. Well, and we are almost out of time, but I have to ask a quick question. You are also a banjo player. Uh, what, what's the difference between bluegrass banjo playing and 
the kind of banjo playing you play? Well, the bluegrass is is a actually a, a, a carryover from from old time banjo playing because old time has finger picking, what you call guitar, what they used to call guitar style, where the thumb can pick and the, and the first and second fingers can pick up. Um, and the bluegrass just basically uh, uh, followed that up with a, they put finger picks on and they, with a three finger you can get quite a rapid progression of, of playing. And, uh, but, um, the way I play a lot is what they call claw hammer. I used to call it just frailing or just, it's a down picking. You use the back of your fingernail to go down and then a strum and a lick on the fifth string. So you get a ding chicka ding chicka ding kind of thing. And that's good, good dance back up for fiddle playing. And uh, so there's a, there's the difference between really between the bluegrass and and old time. There's different old time styles. Like you do a thumb lead, sometimes there's a two finger picking where the thumb would go down and then they would lick on the fifth string and lick on the first string. So you get this same kind of boom diddy boom diddy boom diddy or buddha buddha, you know, back and forth. And so you need, there are several different ways you can do it. I probably shouldn't have asked you that question when you didn't have a banjo in your hand to demonstrate, but I wanted to at least address that because I hear that question all the time about bluegrass versus old time. And we're just about out of time. Let's fit in one more fiddle tune. Why don't you play uh, one, okay. one more okay. for us? <laughs> Here's a tune from Kentucky that was uh, collected by Bruce Green, and it was played by originally by this fellow, Glenn Fannin, and it's called Jonah in the Windstorm. So. So if people now want to hear this music, if they want to see it in person or find it online, or how, how should they start? 
Well, you know, what I've come to find out, it, it's all over the internet now. You can download thousands of tunes onto your iPod and listen to them. Um, there are certain sites on the internet, like the Digital Library of Appalachia, or um, the Virtual Gramophone, which has a lot of Canadian tunes on it. You can download a lot of tunes that way. There's also, um, oh, Jeremy Stevens' site, the Soggy Record Cabinet, something like that. So a lot of people are actually putting up uh, the old recordings on the internet, which is fantastic. Sugar in the Gourd Sugar. is a good place to listen. That's a website? Yes. Yeah. Uh, other than that, you know, there are, you want to look for the reissues of the old stuff on CD. I think it's probably easier to get it on the internet these days, don't you? Yeah. And are there a lot of bands like the Highwoods around now playing this kind of music as kind of a next generation? Of yeah, there are. There's, there are, but, you know, I, I would say that there's not very many that are doing it professionally. Um, there's some young guys who are, who, who are out there learning their lesson. <laughs> it's not easy to, to, for any kind of music to be on the road, but old-time music being traditional, like I said earlier, it's not very commercial. So. Well, we are out of time. We've been talking to Walt Koken and Claire Milliner. They put together this book, the Milliner Koken Collection of American Fiddle Tunes. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. We'd like to hear from you. Our email address is pabooks at pcntv.com. Like us on Facebook to learn more about PA Books.